Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we have a lot of news to cover. The last time that I talked to you guys, Lance Leipold had just been hired as the head coach for Kansas football. Um, but a bunch has happened since then. To help me do that, I have returning to the show, Brandon Dorzinski. He is the radio host uh, for the Afternoon Drive show over on 580 WIBW in Topeka. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Andy. How about yourself, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. It's it's uh, been a little while since we talked, but uh, a lot of stuff has happened, so there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about. Yes, there is uh, a whole lot to get to. Uh, we were just saying uh, on our show the other day, it's not usually great news when we're talking KU in the uh, the middle of May. It's usually, you know, some sort of football coach problem or some sort of NCAA violations for the basketball team. So it's nice to actually have some, uh, some productive conversations about KU this time of year for the first time in uh, several years at this point. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, and it's kind of weird too, because it seems like everything is fairly good news. I mean, obviously the, you know, the transfers of the basketball team missed out on were not necessarily good news, but they did end up, end up landing a guy in Remy Martin. Um, and then just uh, another one that just committed actually the day that we're recording this. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. We will talk about basketball, but I think I want to go to the bigger story first, which is the football, you know, team, obviously Lance Leipold just started with KU. He moved fairly quickly. I think to kind of fill out his staff, brought five guys over from Buffalo in terms of on-field coaching staff, um, and then retained five guys from Kansas. Of of the new guys, which one do you think is going to be, or is either going to have the biggest impact, or were you most impressed by from from when we got to hear from them? So first things first, and this isn't necessarily the answer to that question, but I do find it hilarious that Rob Ionello is back with the program, who is the wide receivers coach and I, I believe recruiting coordinator as well, at least for yep. one year under Charlie Weiss and. I would have imagined after that tenure, Rob Ionello would not have wanted to come anywhere within a hundred miles of Lawrence, but uh, I find it very funny. He's now on the 
off the field uh, coaching analyst uh, back end of the department. But in terms of the actual coaches who, who are going to make an impact here, I think the one that really stands out the most to me, and speaking of impressive, I love what we heard from Brian Borland, the new defensive coordinator, uh, during his first press availability earlier this week. And the story about when he used to coach at Baker and he, he didn't think he would get back, but when he was there in Baldwin City, he thought, man, maybe I'll be coaching in Lawrence one day. And lo and behold, he, he is with his good pal Lance Leipold. But the one who I'm, I think, the most interested in, and I think in terms of resume, have the most excitement for, and, and we'll just go generically here, it's the offensive coordinators, Andy Kotelnicki. And the reason I say that is that Buffalo has had so much consistency. And I know you've spoken with Buffalo folks in the, the recent past about what they were like under Lance Leipold, the pros and cons of the staff of Leipold and all of that. But that was a program that under Leipold had years where they were fantastic throwing the ball. Most recently, they were great at running the ball. Obviously, had a player like Jarrett Patterson this past season, who was one of the breakout stars of college football this year, putting up crazy numbers on the ground. So his ability to build an offense to suit different skill sets, to make different kinds of guys thrive, depending on who's on the roster any given time. I'm very curious, short term, what that's actually going to look like for a KU roster that's better than it was, say, three years ago, but still is uh, lacking in certain areas. And I think that's totally fair to say. But also long term, I mean, what is this going to look like? Is KU going to turn into a power running program? Is KU going to mirror the 2010s Buffalo programs that kind of were sometimes run, sometimes pass? I'm just very curious what this offense is going to evolve into. But the fact that he was able to find success with a pass first and run first offense at Buffalo is, I think, the most exciting part at the very least uh, about bringing in some of these guys from UB to KU. Yeah, I mean, I, that's honestly, I think what I was most excited about because, you know, to be completely honest, like at Kansas, you're not going to get your pick of guys. You're not going to be able to bring in the guys that you want that will fit your system perfectly. You're going to get in a bunch of guys that have potential that may be able to run the kind of things that you like to be able to run. But, you know, you're going to have to tailor your offense. You're going to have to tailor really all of your schemes, whether it's offense or defense, to what the abilities are of the guys that you're able to have. You can't just go out and pick a guy and say, hey, I want you to come here to Kansas and it's going to work out perfect because – if the guys are good enough to run exactly what you want them to run, they're probably going to get poached by someone who's who's a bigger school. And so it was it was encouraging to see that, you know, they were able to have that kind of flexibility while they were at Buffalo to be able to take what they have and really utilize what it is. And I mean, we've we've wasted so many really talented skill position players in the past, you know, 5 to 8 years because we've tried to jam them into an offensive system that didn't necessarily fit their strengths. Puka Williams was wasted for the most part because there were so many times where we tried to run him up the middle and he's not the kind of player that was, you know, set up to find success that way. But the way that the scheme was set up was you needed your running back to run up the middle. And, you know, that gives you all kinds of problems if you're not adjusting your scheme and adjusting the way that you're calling plays to actually take advantage of the people that you have that are the most talented guys that are on the field. So um, I'm definitely excited to kind of see what they can do, who they can identify. And I'm thinking just look, looking at what we saw from Les Miles, not, not entirely Les Miles' fault. Um, you know, obviously they had O-line position issues 
for a really, really long time. A lot of attrition there, a lot of guys with injuries, things like that, that were kind of out of their control a little bit. But the fact that they weren't able to find some way to scheme around that to at least show some of the flashes that we expected to see from a lot of those offensive players tells me that they weren't doing what needed to be done. And I'm hoping that Leipold and and Andy here can go ahead and actually get that done, get these guys performing the way that they need to, and that we can either, you know, whether it's getting wins or not, at least showing that that development on the field, showing those steps forward that gives you the hope that giving, giving them a little bit of time to install even more stuff is going to make them competitive in the Big 12. Because that's really all that we're asking for at this point is competitive play in the Big 12. Oh, absolutely. And the point you bring up, too, about the number of skill position players that have, in a way, been been largely wasted. I mean, you can go back for, I think you gave the time frame of five to eight years. And, you know, just in the time that from when I was in school at KU and up until now, I mean, there are guys, you go back a little bit further to, to the early part of that time frame, like a Tony Pearson, there was no reason why Tony Pearson, of all people, a, a phenomenal athlete, had speed, could catch, could run, could do pretty much anything you'd want out of an offense, was not an all Big 12 caliber player. I mean, I truly think at that time he could have been that, but he was completely wasted during the very brief Charlie Weiss era you had in recent memory. I mean, Andrew Parchment didn't have a quarterback to throw him the ball last year effectively. He ends up at Florida State, which is dealing with its own issues. But still, you end up transferring to Florida State. You've obviously got some real talent because they still have a very strong pipeline of talented skill position players. So there are guys that have had talent. There are guys that have had skill that, that you're right. You just haven't been able to get that out of But if you can start to develop something of a reputation, something of a scheme where, you know, if it's, if right off the bat, it is the run game, you know, the, the group they have an offensive line right now, maybe they're not great pass blockers, but you can find something going with some sort of running scheme. And then you can get some more, you know, talented running backs to come in some talented scat back guys, more linemen, whatever it ends up being winning breeds success. And that's really the overall general theme that KU will cling to for the Leipold era. And I know fans and I know myself are clinging to that. It might be rough at first. And I will say that I do think that 2021 is probably not going to be a very pretty year, but can you develop things? Can you show signs of, yes, you know what? We didn't do well in the big 12, but we gave Iowa state a good game. We pulled off a win against, you know, a, a West Virginia or a Texas tech or something like that. Because that the, the winning is going to breed continued success. And if you can develop that kind of offensive identity, which KU at times in the last two years sort of looked like it was getting, and then it would fade out of that, and we didn't really know who was always calling the plays, it was never really there. But when you consider how important consistency and continuity is for Lance Leipold, that gives me a little more encouragement that they're going to find something, and if it works, they are going to stick with it and make the best of the talent that KU does have at the moment. Yeah, definitely. You know, you talked about players that were kind of wasted, and Andrew Parchment, I think, was a good a good example. But the guy that really jumps out to me the most about that would be Jay Sternberger. You know, he was a guy who was here at Kansas in 2015, 2016. He played a total of two games with for one reception in his Kansas career, okay, for five yards. He goes to Texas A&M his senior year. He plays in 13 games, has 48 receptions for 832 yards, 10 touchdowns, was enough to get him to be drafted in the third round by the Green Bay Packers. Like, going from a guy who you could tell had talent, but for some reason couldn't find his way onto the field consistently enough, like Kansas just didn't use him at all. And he turned out to be a very good tight end, got himself drafted, is playing really well for the Packers as well. So, like, this is one of those situations, like, that's the perfect ep- epitome of what we've had at Kansas is 
coaches that can't seem to evaluate the talent correctly, that can't utilize the system correctly to actually showcase the guys they have that have talent. I mean, you know, make no mistake, Jay Sternberger was a talented enough guy that he should have been showing out at Kansas if the coaches knew what they were doing when he was there. And so, like, that's what's most exciting to me is not even necessarily the fact that, you know, Lance Leipold is bringing a system. It's the fact that, um, like, I don't know what his system's going to be, and that actually excites me because the fact that I don't know what his system's going to be. When Les Miles got hired, you knew what he was going to try to do. The question was going to be, did he hand over the offense to his offensive coordinator? You know, Lance Leipold... Andy Kotelnicki and Brian Borland, you, I have absolutely no clue what they're going to do because I have faith and, I, and I'm fairly certain given their track record that they don't even know what they're going to do at this point. They have general ideas about their basic principles, what they, what it is that they want to do, but they're going to take a look at the guys. They're going to use the summer months to kind of figure out what everyone's capabilities are. And then, you know, I, I thought the, the, the thing that was most surprising to me that I really liked to hear from the new offensive coordinator was that when they're coming up with a game plan, you know, that first 15 play scripts, he asked every single person on staff to give him 15 plays that they would run. Then takes a look at all of those, sees what's common between all of them, and that's what they use. Like they, they, they look at all of those common plays and build the script that way because if enough people are saying it, like that's how they know what those strengths are that have been identified and everybody is on the same page. I also like the fact, you know, that in, in, the, in the interest of looking for new and innovative ways to do things, they, you know, take a look at interesting plays that were on individual assistants and go pick their brain about what it is. And, and I think that's the most, uh, I, the, I think the best way to describe it is that we have coordinators and a head coach that are humble enough to get the input from other people that they, you know, that they are over that, that report to them to get everybody's input, to make sure that they're making the best decision possible. And that is a surprising change of pace from what we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. And in the immediate past too, I mean, you talk about the ability to adapt and looking for other things. And that was maybe one of the biggest failings in game of the very brief Les miles era. And I was alluding to this a little bit, but, you know, you saw a couple games in 2019, the the start of Brent Deerman mania when, oh my God, put up this crazy amount of yardage and points against Texas and this crazy game against Texas Tech, you end up stealing a win in Lawrence and okay, maybe this is where you're going. But then by the end of that season in 2019, it was very clear already that Les Miles had gone back to pulling a lot of the strings on the offense. And in 2020, that was extremely and excruciatingly apparent and yeah. was not really surprising at all why Brent Deerman said, all right, well, I'm, I'm out of here and I've, I've got issues with this and I'm going to leave. So that is all obviously water under the bridge because it's just a new era for the program in general. And who knows if Deerman would have been around if he was still on the staff anyway. But I do think you're right that that ability to look to other places for sources of information and sources of just, you know, a positive way to impact the team is something that a very stubborn stable of KU coaches has refused to do. Charlie Weiss was the same way. In a lot of ways, David Beatty was the same way with his, well, I'm the OC, well, I'm the play caller, well, I'm not the OC anymore. I'm still coaching quarterbacks. I'm coaching special teams now. Just a lot of stubbornness. And I think it's kind of a reflection at three levels of each other that Travis Goff, when he made the hire of Lance Leipold, was willing to do it the right way. He did a real search. Shout out to Jeff Long for absolutely not doing a real search when he hired last time. <laughs> he did it the right way. He found the right guys. He talked to the right people, people inside the KU bubble, people outside the KU bubble. Lance Leipold, he's got his guys who work. He is set in his ways a little bit in terms of keeping guys he's had for a long time, but also expanding things a little bit. And I think a great example of this too is 
when you consider who KU is keeping from the past staff and you throw out in terms of the on-field coaches, you've got Emmett Jones, you've got Chivas Jackson, you've got Quan Drake. And Emmett Jones, obviously the recruiting stud, and he said this week that, look, I'm not the kind of guy who wants to recruit a bunch of dudes and then jump somewhere else. Like, I'm, I'm content to be here in a role and doing what I'm doing. And, and I'm sure he would have loved to have been the head coach, but oh, yeah. you keep him around because he does offer a skill set that is important. And he's got experience with a lot of these players. I mean, hell, half the roster were Emmett Jones recruits anyway. So you add in another voice that can be helpful. Chivas Jackson, same way, defensively the defensive back specifically, but a lot of those defensive guys really respond well to him. He knows, at least in theory, what he can do to get the most out of them. And Quan Drake, I mean, you go back to the spring game even, and I know things have changed since then with a pair of transfers on that defensive line, but I mean, that looked like the best unit of the entire spring game was the defensive line, and that's Quan Drake's group. So if you're Lance Leipold, you're Brian Borland, you're coming in and saying, okay, what can we do to adapt our skills as coaches and our plans and schemes to what is already in place and what these players already know and like and put it together to make the best system we can. And I think that by keeping those three guys in particular, and just in general, like you said, being open to new ideas and expanding the knowledge base is an extremely important thing that might seem obvious to some people, but is also something that has been completely lacking in Lawrence for way, way, way too long. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing that really, I think, hit me well was Lance Leipold in his opening press conference was talking about consistency and how consistency is the key. You want to be teaching people the same thing year after year, teaching it similar ways, you know, introducing new concepts, but doing it in kind of a familiar role, building a program that is going to be teaching the same thing now that they're teaching, you know, seven years from now. And so, like, the fact that he kept on so many of the Kansas assistants, I wasn't surprised by after hearing that. The, the question was always going to be which guys was it. And of course it makes sense that the, you know, the guys that were in key positions that really knew these guys that were involved in the recruiting of these guys. So really understood what it was that they brought to Kansas. It made sense for him to keep those guys. And, and it's also, you know, one, one of those things I fully expect him to bring a large portion of his staff because in order for him to keep, you know, to basically transplant his program, do it the way that he normally tries to do it. He has to bring a lot of the guys that he's come up with, that he's developed his style with, he's developed his program with, you know, and so brought over a lot of the key contributors from there. You know, there's always going to be a little bit of turnover on coaching staffs year over year. That's just kind of the way it works. Um, you know, I mean, Lance Lance Leipold at, at Buffalo didn't have a completely static coaching staff for more than a year or two. And so, you know, but keeping the key the key contributors, the key players in there in terms of the, the the coaching staff and making sure that message is consistent, that's the kind of thing that he preaches. That's the kind of thing we haven't seen at Kansas. I mean, if you think about it, Les Miles had four, well, five offensive coordinators, if you count Mike DeBoard before he ended up leaving. So, you know, it's one of those things where Kansas has not had that that consistent message. Going back to David Beatty, even, you know, I mean, David Beatty, I believe, had four or five. If 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 you count him, the two times he took over play calling duties and was essentially the offensive coordinator, I believe he had five coordinators himself in the five in, in the four years that he was there. So Kansas has not had that consistency. They are going to have it moving forward unless, you know, something completely drastic happens. But, you know, given the people that he's brought over with him, I fully imagine those guys are going to stay with him for a very long time here at Kansas. You know, they're finally in a, in a power five position. They're. You know, at the point now, like, I don't think most of these coaches have immediate 
designs on going to be a head coach at like a lower G5 or something like that. And so there's a good opportunity for this staff to stay together for a while. And sure, some of the guys here at KU that were here at KU may end up deciding to take other positions because they haven't been with Leipold over the long haul. But it's also one of those things like, you know, as long as they get through this initial transition period, you can keep that message consistent. You can get everybody acclimated to what Leipold wants to do here at Kansas and you can keep that program building into the future. That's what has me the most excited. Has absolutely nothing to do with the players. Has absolutely nothing to do, honestly, with the individual, what these coaches do. It's the fact that this collective of coaches seems to work really well together. They've now incorporated a whole bunch of new blood that knows Kansas really well, and they can bring together a program now that has that coaching consistency, but also has the background knowledge in what makes Kansas run that should be able to get this program turned around. The only question I really have is how long is it going to take and obviously we won't know that until we see the first stuff on the field for them. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mentioned that I have a feeling this next year is not going to look especially pretty. Uh, you know, you just look at the the non-conference games, for example, and should KU beat South Dakota? Yeah, I would hope so. I, I hope you can pull off a win yeah. against an FCS school to start things off, especially one that, you know, the FCS is playing in the spring. That's a very short turnaround for a season and ideally KU wins that game, but then you throw in, you know, Duke is a really well-coached team, although they have fallen on some slightly harder times in the last couple of years since the last time KU and Duke played. Uh, you've got Coastal Carolina in Conway, which is probably not going to go well because that is a team that is on the rise and had a really great year and right now is just, frankly, better than KU is. And, and it's hard to judge what the Big 12 could look like. Again, maybe you can steal one away from Texas Tech, which I think is – really not in an especially good place under Matt Wells right now, which almost surprised me. I thought Wells was a really good hire at the time, but I do think it's going to take a year. And, you know, my co-host on 580 and Topeka, he said he is essentially considering this year zero for Lance Leipold. Just oh, get yeah. through the year, you know, see what you can learn. And, you know, really year one will be 2022. And I do think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. So, you know, if you go two years in a row of, one win, two wins with minimal noticeable improvement of, okay, this team is clearly more competitive Then yeah, I would be smashing the panic button, I think. But if you can see anything this year and then turn that into, you know, three or four wins come 22 and then, and then beyond that, you're feeling a lot better about the trajectory of this program. And, and I know that's not to be fair, the thing a lot of fans want to hear because I think you can make the argument, well, KU fans should be used to this and used to the patience with it, but also you've been rebuilding a program for over a decade at this point, sick of rebuilding and sick of waiting for this better day to come. So I can get there being a little trepidation with saying, well, you need to still be patient, but I think as long as KU can stick with that continuity, and you make a good point too about some of these coaches and the coordinators specifically, maybe not being the kind of guys who are, you know, the hot young rising coach or something who might get an offer from a Mac school or a Sunbelt team or something like that. You know, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator, when he spoke this week, he pretty much said, look, I'm going to be blunt with you. This is very close to the end of my career. Like I'm hoping I can finish out my career here. I'm much closer to the end than the, to the beginning. I think Kotal Nicky is in a very similar boat. So if you can keep this core of coaches together, the coordinators and some of your key recruiters on the staff, along with Leipold, obviously, you should be able to reap the benefits of that. I think within three seasons starting this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily too worried about how long it's actually going to take just because if you think about it, like 
this is probably about the year under the less miles regime that you would expect results to start potentially coming in. But a lot of that was just going to depend on recruiting classes and, you know, how well you were able to see the on, you know, on the field development. But after last year with that pandemic year, like I think a lot of people wrote that year off and really considered this, this year coming up to be potentially year two for less miles. And the biggest question was always going to be the offensive line, you know, unless the offensive line gets fixed, there's absolutely no way that this offense is going to be able to do anything, especially against some of the better defenses that the Big 12 has. And so it's one of those things where, like, I don't, I already think there weren't a lot of expectations for this particular year because of what Les Miles was doing in terms of recruiting high school-only players, really rebuilding the roster, getting us back towards the scholarships that we needed to be. So there weren't really a lot of expectations for this year. Now that you're moving to a, a system that I think people can get excited about, there's still not going to be expectations for this year. I do think, though, that there is the possibility, like we, we have to be really careful, especially as fans to not repeat the mistakes that we did with David Beatty, where, you know, in year two or three, you start to get a few, you know, unexpected wins that really just jumpstart expectations the next year. I think Leipold is going to be smart enough to not do what David Beatty did where, you know, Beatty gets that big upset against Texas and going into the next year. He's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on our way back. We're doing what we need to do. We, we expect big things this year coming up. I don't I don't think anybody should be saying that moving forward because this is a long term rebuild. We already knew it was probably gonna take at least five years from when Miles was hired just to get the scholarship situation to where it needed to be and start building the talent level all the way back up to where it needed to be. I think we're still on a similar sort of trajectory, maybe delay it a year or so, but that was probably I think more to do with the pandemic than this particular one. And part of that is because there weren't a ton of transfers out after the news hit or you know, after Leipold got hired. So um, I do actually want to talk about transfers, not only in football, but also in basketball. But before we do that, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So, obviously, really the, only, the main thing left to talk about is transfers. We're going to go ahead and start with football because we, we're still talking about football. Um, so let's go ahead and jump over. But since, you know, since the news hit that Leipold got hired at KU, there's been a few high level, I would say, transfers out of the program. The two biggest ones, you actually kind of alluded to it earlier, would have been Dejon Terry and then Marcus Harris, both transferring off that defensive line. Those were two guys I think that were up and coming. The guy that hits me the hardest, I think, is Marcus Harris, because I thought he was going to be, you know, really tearing it up this this particular year. But uh, you know, are, are are those the two guys that you were the most worried about transferring in terms of the ones that have already left? Um and or or was there someone else that's kind of jumping out that I'm that I'm forgetting about? No, those are the two for me that definitely stand out the most. And, and Terry, I think specifically, because I know his recruitment was followed a lot really closely. I mean, that was a good signing. And he was already showing some positive returns uh, from what I had seen and from, you know, others in the, the media pool that we had spoken with that said, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a piece that should be a contributor right away and for a very long time. And, you know, that one is... Look, when, with a player like that, I don't think it's surprising for them to move on when a new coaching staff comes into play. Now, 
not that I'm accusing anyone of anything nefarious here, and I certainly don't blame Dejon Terry whatsoever, but you know, he, he clearly had interest. He went to Tennessee immediately. And while Tennessee is not exactly Peyton Manning, T Martin, Tennessee at the moment, that's still an sec program with some cachet around college football. And right. you know, you, Josh Heupel is a good recruiter. And I'm sure they, once they found out, Hey, this kind of kid is available. Let's go get him. It was a pretty easy decision, but that showed you that people were after him. I mean, that was a, a good player who left because he felt he was going to get a better opportunity elsewhere. And, you know, that's fine. I, I think there really is. And I, I want to preface this by saying, I don't fault anyone who wants to transfer for whatever reason, you know, go use your freedom while you have some freedom. And I'm right. glad that athletes have more of that now with the, the new one-time transfer rule. But there are, in my opinion, some circumstances in where players might not be making the best decision for them. Like they might be trying to say, well, the grass will be greener here when in reality it probably isn't. And I think that's apparent by the fact there are 84,000 players in the transfer portal right now. And there are only so many openings across division one college football. So all of that being said, and just kind of bringing you back center here, I think the Terry one who stood out the most to me, although losing Harris too, obviously that's tough. Two of the best players on that defensive line. And the, I believe they were roommates. They're good pals who decided to, to move on at the same time. So while that's a bummer, I do think there are still some pieces there to be interested in. And I like Quan Drake as a coach who is, again, the defensive line coach. I think he'll be able to find something there. It's honestly, though, as much as those two, and specifically in my eyes, Terry hurt to lose, those were the two biggest names. And it doesn't feel to me, and maybe I'm viewing this with crimson and blue colored glasses, but it doesn't feel like there's legitimately been that much attrition those are two big ones but right i think a combination of a buy-in from the roster to what lance leipold is selling and a good pitch and a good explanation of why we want you here and also the fact frankly that emmett jones is still on the staff is really going to help keep a lot of the roster together and again to go back to leipold's stance on continuity being able to keep the recruiting class together, but also keep the talent you still have together. That's huge. So while it stinks to lose those two guys, the fact that those are the two biggest names and it's really not all that deep beyond them in terms of the transfers out. I think that's honestly kind of a win for Leipold to not lose much more than that. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was huge. I think they've had a total of four people enter the transfer portal. I, I might be off on my count, but I know it's not any more than four. Like, I'm pretty sure Julian Chandler was another guy, cornerback, who, you know, honestly, I don't know how much how much he was actually expected to get on the field this year. Um, you know, I'm sure he probably would have gotten there somewhat, but I, I'm I'm fairly certain he moved after the after the Leipold news, but but I'm not like, you know, hundred percent certain there. But um, you know, those were really the only two big names. There was a lot of people that were concerned that maybe a guy like um, you know, Prunty or Logan or, you know, some of those other bigger names in the sec- in the secondary were potentially going to move on. And we haven't seen any of that happen. And that's been extremely, extremely positive for this team. Um, and so, like, yeah, the, the real question is, obviously, you know, they still have time that they go ahead and transfer, but we're fast approaching the window where most of the, you know, the bigger name teams and honestly, most teams in general are finalizing their rosters, aren't going to have a whole bunch of spots open up at this point. And so I, I don't know that I'm necessarily too worried. Like they're at the point now, I think, where if you were going to move, you probably already did. And, and so, or you've, you've already probably already at least announced that you're intending to move. And so 
I'm not that worried about Kansas losing potentially more. Like you said, those were those were some big big names that were potentially moving there or that are leaving there. Um, but you know, Kansas Kansas actually has done fairly well recruiting on the defensive line recently. Um, those were just two guys you were expecting to kind of step up into big roles. But they have some talent that were behind them that were looking to kind of push to try to get on the field. And so it wasn't necessarily a guarantee, you know, that those were going to going to be the two best defensive linemen we had. They they probably were. They should, they would be the odds on favorite to be the the, the best two that we had, but. You know, they have other guys that, that were pushing them. So that just gives more players, I think, an opportunity to develop a little bit quicker. Um, yes, it's, I mean, I think I would be more concerned if something like this was happening next year when when I, I think Kansas can actually potentially do more. Um, this is going to give them an opportunity to evaluate the guys faster. And if they need to go and recruit more guys on the defensive line, they now have the ability to do that. That's the most important thing to me, I think, at this point, is the fact that this coaching staff is going to get basically a full recruiting cycle to put together that first recruiting class and to fill the holes for any guys that end up leaving um, you know, compared to what we normally see with a new coaching hire where they've got basically three weeks to put a recruiting class together. And usually it's a whole bunch of either junior college guys or a bunch of guys that they can just grab who are still kind of hanging around that hadn't really committed anywhere yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're spot on with that. And you know, Leipold recruiting wise at Buffalo was never exactly a, a juggernaut and for a position like that you know you're, you're talking about the mac which is one of the more lowly regarded conferences in fps just to, to be honest and he found a lot of success there regardless but not really a you know talking nationally you don't need to worry about buffalo's ranking in terms of recruiting but even among their mac peers it wasn't great it was pretty consistently about in the middle of the mac or, or into the bottom half of it but they still found a way to build winners and to go to three consecutive bowl games buffalo went 24 and 10 over the last three seasons and did that with supposedly lower ranked recruiting classes among their own peers at similar institutions so let's say even if ku is still hauling in players that are you know about that the big 12 average or slightly below if ku is coming in around you know the the fifth sixth team in the big 12 in terms of talent every year being brought in but is able to keep those guys not have the kind of transfer and leaving the program attrition that has really cursed the team for forever and has been a struggle for a lot of teams in somewhat similar positions in college football that's going to be huge and being able to keep these first two groups and the groups being the roster as it is, like I mentioned, but also the first year of recruits and some guys who had already committed verbally while Les Miles was still in charge. Being able to keep those guys is going to be, I I don't want to say that's all that's going to make or break, you know, that three-year window I talked about where can you see legitimate bowl contention by 23 or 24. I'm not saying this is the only thing that's going to impact that, but the timeline of real competition for the program is going to largely hinge on guys who are either already with the team or are going to come in within the next 12 months. So being able to get that full time period and being able to, again, sell the vision of what the team and what the program can be is going to be paramount for for this group. And that's why you, you kind of do have to have faith in this selection of guys, the, the coaches, the head coach, the coordinators that they can sell it well. And I think we've already seen that from this group that they've been able to sell it to the guys on the roster. That's a good indication in my opinion of things to come with some of the young recruits. Yeah. It's also kind of one of those things where, 
you know, one, one of the big, I think, concerns that anyone I had talked to about what Leipold was able to do was when, when Rob Ionella was his recruiting coordinator, uh, you know, up there at Buffalo, was that they weren't necessarily identifying really, really good recruits who were able to put together really good recruiting classes. They were just good at developing guys. But what I've noticed in, in terms of the way that they put the staff together, the recruiting coordinator is still Emmett Jones. Like, most of the guys that were involved in these recruiting classes that Kansas was putting together, like, you know, the, the day-to-day frontline people, are going to be the same, which means there's not, you know, I don't know how much of the recruiting class, based off of what these guys were talking about, were, you know, the, the day-to-day work being put in by the recruiters or Les Miles coming in to finish it. I'm sure that Les Miles was doing some of that, coming in and finishing it, but the vast majority of the work, putting them in a position to be able to recruit those guys and finish off mm-hmm. that recruiting class, those guys are still in place. Those guys are still going to be there, are still going to give that same sort of effort, can you know continue to preach that consistent message to keep finding the guys. Some of the targets may be a little bit different. They may evaluate guys a little bit differently based off of now what Leipold and the rest of the staff is really looking for. But the, you know, kind of the... The on the ground things that they're doing to make sure that they're still feeding in a bunch of good recruits through these recruiting classes is going to be there. So I don't I don't know that I'm necessarily as concerned about recruiting as a lot of other people seem to be based off of what Leipold's history is, because we all know that the vast majority of the recruiting is not done by the head coach. It's not really done by any of the you know the head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, unless those are your lead recruiters. But you know those those lead recruiters are still in place. They're still going to be able to do the same sort of things and keep up that same sort of recruiting that they were able to do previously. That's a great point. And again, that's why I think keeping the guys on the staff who were your best recruiters under miles is a really important element of this whole equation for KU. And again, Emmett Jones is the, the face of that and was the face of recent KU recruiting, but Chivas Jackson helped bring in a number of guys as well. And he's someone who can, relate to young players. Drake is that kind of guy as well. Obviously you you throw an Ionello who gets the job of general manager, which I still find funny for college football, but yeah. you know, if the guy who's in charge of the transfer portal and roster construction and all of that, well, it makes sense that you need that in college football in 2021. So to be able to keep the guys that you know are successful, and this kind of ties in with what we were talking about earlier in the show that the ability to look to other people for ideas and be open and adaptable to other things that may not have worked in one place, but could work in this one is going to be huge for this staff to be able to build a program that should be at the very least in bowl contention year after year, once eventually you're able to build to that point and can hopefully stay there. So being able to keep the most important pieces is going to be huge. There's a quote that comes to my mind. Um, I heard this once on our radio show from Seth Kaiser, who writes about the Chiefs of the Athletic, has a Chiefs newsletter, all of that, smart guy. Oh, yeah. And about the, about the Chiefs roster. And he was saying, when it comes to, to free agency and extensions and stuff, you keep great guys, you can let good ones walk away. And I'm not saying necessarily that some of the guys who KU did not retain on the coaching staff were bad at their jobs, they might've been just fine. You know, Brent Deerman would come to mind, but you kept great ones. You kept guys who have a recent track record of success with the program. So being able to retain that greatness, so to speak, I think was a a big win with this new incoming regime. 
Yeah, definitely. You know what? I, I did not think that we were going to have a Seth Kaiser shout out over here on, on the Rock Talk <laughs> podcast, but I, I agree. I mean, he, he does great work. And, and like what you talked about there is absolutely the case. When you're looking to improve a team, you have to find the best pieces and hang on to those best pieces and then, you know, improve everywhere else. And so I, that, that's really what they did coaching staff wise. You know, they they identified the key assistants that they needed and they improved everybody else by bringing by basically transplanting a system that we already know works. You know, in a in a situation similar to Kansas is obviously taking a step up into the power five, but we'll see how all that works out moving forward. So, all right, I don't want to I don't want to make this entirely a football show because there was some basketball news that, that's actually happened. So let's go ahead and, and jump on over the, the biggest news, I think, for Kansas has actually just dropped in the last couple of days. Um, you know, Kansas missed out on a whole lot of different guys. Severe Wheeler, you know, they missed out on Ty Ty Washington. They missed out on a lot of guys that they were really hoping were going to come in and kind of complete the rest of this roster. Um, but in the la- just in the last couple of days, they got Remy Martin, and then they also got uh, Jalen Coleman Lands. So, so two guys. The Remy Martin first coming from from Arizona. Uh, wait, was it Arizona or Arizona State? I, I feel really State. bad. Okay, yes, yes. Sun Devil. No, correct. That makes a lot more sense. Um, coming from Arizona State was Pac-12 Player of the Year last year. Uh, absolutely a phenomenal guy. And yes, he is still testing the NBA draft waters. Um, but from everything that I've heard, the expectation is probably that he's not going to get what he wants out of there. He's already talked about how, you know, some small part of him is kind of hoping that things don't work out in terms of going to the NBA draft because then he gets the opportunity to play for Kansas. So he's obviously excited to come to KU. Um, I I fully expect that he's probably going to be coming to KU, not necessarily because he's a bad player, but just because, you know, in, in, in terms of NBA potential, but just because I don't think the NBA scouts see him the way that he would need to in order to really get drafted where he would want to be drafted. So it's one of those things where I fully expect him to come back for a super senior year here. Um, it's going to kind of be that that final missing piece that Kansas was really looking for, a guy that can you know can can handle the point, that can really take those those point guard duties up top. Um, the, the other guy in uh, Jalen Coleman lands a transfer from Iowa State, so Kansas kind of just swaps players, give, gives up Tristan and Aruna to go to Iowa State you know, and gets Coleman lands. Um, of, of those two players, though, Given what they can actually bring to this team, which one of those two players do you think is going to be the most important for the Jayhawks this coming season? I think it's for sure Remy Martin, although I will say this about Jalen Coleman lands, who I remember when he committed to Illinois in 2015 and how big of a deal that was. I mean, he was a top 40 recruit in 2015. He was in the same recruiting class as Sheck Diallo, Diedrich Lawson, Malik Newman. Like he was in that class. He has been in college for so yeah. long. He's now his fourth team, which is crazy. Like he, he and Charlie Moore are on the same program, apparently going to as many schools as they could possibly get. But I do think he's going to end up at some point this year where there's a game in which KU is just struggling to find offense. He comes in, lights it up from three for about 10 minutes and KU wins because of it. That's, it very Isaiah Moss in my mind. And I know I'm not the first person to make that comparison, but on a night to night basis and on a season long basis, it's gotta be Remy Martin. And I know there's still the, the NBA draft potential, but I think you laid it out there perfectly that it sounds as though it's more likely than not. He does end up coming to KU and he really does feel like the missing piece. I don't know if he is a, a perfect player. In fact, I, I'm certain that he's not, but the thing is he can bring are pretty much exactly what KU was missing this last year. And and one of the things I've noticed the past couple of seasons, and again, not exactly an original thought, not the first person to think this, but when KU's got that dynamic 
creating point guard, someone who can either find open guys constantly, driving kick, whatever it might be, or when you say, we need a bucket, the ball's in your hands, figure it out, can go get his, and KU fans know that well from the two great games he played against Kansas back in 17 and 18, Martin can be that guy. And I think KU and Bill Self and the rest of the coaching staff have done a good job this year in the transfer portal of finding more guys and recruiting as well, finding guys who can go get theirs because that was really not existent on this past year's team. You know, as much as I love Marcus Garrett and he tried to be that guy sometimes, that's just not his game. Whereas you look at Martin and you think, okay, this is a guy who when push comes to shove back against the wall, whatever cliches you want to use, you can trust him to go out and get something. And sometimes he can be a bit of a boomer bust player, but it's a lot more of the, and not to make a direct comparison here because we're talking KU legends, but a little more of the, the Dotson, Graham, Mason kind of in him that if he's got the ball in his hand, there's two minutes to go, he'll, he'll put up a three. He's not going to be fr- afraid to take that big shot like we saw sometimes from this past year's KU roster where sometimes Christian Brown would be hesitant to pull the trigger on some shots. Sometimes you had other guys not to pick on CB specifically, but you just didn't really have that. Whereas now you've got a Yesifu, who I think is a kind of guy who can create for his own if he is starting at the two. You bring in Martin, who can be your true point guard, who can shoot, who can drive, who can kick, who can pretty much do what Bill Self loves to see his point guards do. I think on a night-by-night basis, that's going to be, and I hate to use this phrase because it's been said so many times already in the past several days, but he really does feel like he could be that missing piece that makes the whole offense click. and. Obviously, if he can contribute something on defense, because that's what earns you points with Bill Self, uh, that's going to be huge for this team as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I I don't think it's hyperbole to say that he's the missing piece that puts Kansas back in the national title contention, you know, discussion there. Because it's, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, that's really what Kansas was missing. Like, that was the biggest problem they had this last year was the fact that they did not have a point guard who could also create offense for himself you know, in addition to creating for others. You know, I, I loved what Marcus Garrett brought to the team, but the fact was that Marcus Garrett was much, much better when he was creating for other people and only really kind of created for himself as a last resort when everything else fell through. Um, and, and other teams were able to take advantage of that. Um, you know, you have a guy in Dewan Harris who is already kind of set up to be that that primarily, you know, a, a point guard slash distributor type guy. So you need a guy in Remy Martin who can also go ahead and do that, but is able to get his own shot when he needs to and do what he needs to do. And yes, Kansas has, has a bunch of other guys like Yusufu, Bobby Pettiford. Those guys are all expected to potentially be able to do similar sort of things. Um, pro- probably not quite at the same level, but having a guy that you know you can get that stuff from in, the, in Remy Martin is going to give Bill Self a lot of security to be able to kind of try out what he wants to early in the year, figure out what works, and then get those roles defined. Kind of what you're talking about, Jalen Coleman-Lands, like he is going to fill that role, I think, for what we, you know, he's got a very kind of more of a niche role. He's going to be that three-point specialist. You know, he showed that he's had has some pretty good defense. Bill Self always needs one of those guys, preferably two or three of those guys, honestly, to be able to, you know, have one at least one of those guys kind of step up if he has those guys on the bench. And so he's going to fill a very important role for this Kansas team. But I do agree with you. It is Remy Martin who's going to be the most, you know, the, the most uh, impactful night in and night out, assuming, of course, that he actually comes back. The, the one other question I did have for you, though, is the fact that, that Kansas now has one 
too many scholarships if both Jalen Wilson and Ochai Baji come back. Um, and so I think the the general consensus is that one of those guys is probably going to stay and it's probably going to be Ochai Baji. Do you agree with that? Do you think that there's maybe another roster move coming that's going to open up a spot for both those guys to come back? Um, you know, even if they like have to wait until they actually declare before they pull the trigger on whatever that particular move is. Um, and if you had a choice, would you rather have Jalen Wilson back on the team or Ochai Baji? So I think it's got to be one of those two that clears the scholarship because other than that, I mean, you're not looking at a very big group of guys who are returning from last year. I mean, it's a, a minority of the roster who got any minutes last year and Dave McCormick is not going to transfer. And I mean, if he did, that'd be obviously disastrous because he's such an important piece, but he's not going anywhere. Uh, Mitch Lightfoot scholarship does not count against the 13th for this season. And, you know, let's be frank, where's Mitch going to go? You know, that's not going to change anything. And right. then well, it comes down to either Christian Brown or Dewan Harris. And I don't think that either of those guys are, would be inclined to leave. And frankly, if they were, I think Bill Self would have said something at some point over the last two months to the effect of, Hey, maybe you should go make some calls or open up your DMS. You know, I, I feel like if they're still there, there is a reason Bill Self said, I want you to still be here or gave them that indication anyway. And it'd be frankly just kind of weird for one of the guys who have already transferred into all of a sudden then try to transfer back out. I guess the closest thing that's happened like that for KU within the last few years, uh, when Isaac McBride committed, he was part of the class with Brown and then he never actually played a game for KU left right after boot camp because he right. just, I guess, couldn't hang uh, with, with that part of the program. And that's, that's not something that happens all that often. That was a recruit leaving, not even a transfer. So I find it hard to believe anyone who's on the roster solidly right now would be the one to leave. So then it comes down to, like you mentioned, the the three guys who are in the draft process. And I'm with you. I'm going to operate under the assumption that Remy Martin does indeed come to Lawrence. I've been saying through ever since they both announced and declared that they're going to enter the process but keep their eligibility, that the bigger loss for KU would be Jalen Wilson, because I think he your ceiling is higher with just him than it is with just Ochai. And I don't mean to put down Abaji by any means, because I do think he is a good player. I do think he brings some positive athleticism. He can shoot well, but also I, I feel as though Ochai has probably hit his ceiling that he's going right now. He's the player he's going to be. Whereas I still think there's more room to grow for Jalen Wilson and he can be a better version of himself in 21, 22 than he even was in 2021. So I would say the bigger loss would be Jalen Wilson. And at the same time, I've thought this whole time, he would be the one to leave if anyone did, because I think NBA teams are more interested in his skill set and his room to grow than they would be in Ochayabajis. But to counter all of what I just said, you just brought in a guy on Wednesday this week who is playing the same position that Ochai Abaji is. You know, Jalen Coleman Lane, right. while he's going to spend most of his time on the perimeter just waiting to catch and shoot, and I'm sure he will have direct marching orders, catch the ball, shoot the ball, and that's your job on offense. The, he plays the same position as Ochai Abaji, and if I'm Ochai and maybe you, you don't know about this or you did know about this beforehand, I might be thinking, okay, well, I'm already being recruited to lose some of my time or just recruited over in terms of, you know, re transfer recruit. So maybe that's a sign that it's time for me to move on. It almost feels a little bit like the Bryce Thompson situation, to be honest with you, that 
you know, Bill Self said he really wanted to keep him. But at the same time, if you're Bryce, you see the program bringing in a bunch of other dudes to compete for point guard minutes. And you say, well, I, I thought this was my job. Maybe it's time for me to go find some other opportunity. So after getting Coleman lands, I think it's probably a Baji who's the most likely to go, but I would not be shocked if it's Jalen Wilson, because I do think his skill set carries a little more weight with the NBA right now. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I, I do ultimately think that Jalen Wilson, him coming back, is going to be more important because kind of what you said, that while, while Ochai Abaji is the more polished one and is probably better at his particular position, Jalen Wilson gives you things that this team doesn't necessarily have. He's a much more versatile player, I think can do a whole lot more overall. And like you said, he has room to grow. There's going to be an opportunity to kind of develop over the course of the season to not be what you have at the very beginning of the year and actually grow into what he can do by the end of the year. Um, I also just think that, you know, if Jalen Wilson were to grow to his peak this year, that's going to be probably higher and more valuable for this particular team than a guy like Ochai Abaji is going to be. Again, I, I actually think that Abaji is the better player right now, is probably the guy that is more ready and, and more polished. Um, but it's also kind of one of those things, if you think about it, Jalen Wilson was a much higher rated recruit than Ochai Abaji. And typically, while, while, you know, there's definitely something to be said for developing well in college, generally, the guy who is higher rated coming into college is going to be a better overall player than the guy who is not. And, and so it's one of those things where I do ultimately think that Jalen Wilson will have a more successful career for the Jayhawks, assuming he comes back this year, um, than when we look back at Ochai Abaji. Not to take anything away from what Abaji has done and what he, you know, will do going forward if he comes back. But I just think that Jalen Wilson is probably the most important piece for this particular team of those two. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely agree. I do think it's Abaji that's going to stay in the process. He is actually being, I guess, projected as a potential second round pick. Um, I don't think that Jalen Wilson is high up high up enough on anyone's radar to really feel comfortable staying in the draft at this point. So we'll just have to see. Um, I, I, I do I will be following it closely, obviously, as I think every KU fan will be. So it's just a matter of what it is that we're going to see. So, But at this point, we actually are out of time. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Where can the people find your work online? Yes, so people can find me online. They can go to WIBWnewsnow.com. That's where you can stream our show, which is on 580 WIBW in Topeka and 104.9 FM in Topeka as well from 2 to 6 p.m. every single weekday. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Brendan DZW. All right, perfect. Well, Brendan, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. You can just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe to us there. Um, get every episode as soon as it comes out. If, if you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. If not, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need and in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any questions, comments, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can send them to me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Now that we're on Anchor, you can actually leave us a voicemail. Get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk dash pod slash message and you can leave us a voicemail there i promise we'll get you on the show as long as it's you know not completely inappropriate um we do have some exciting stuff coming there's an opportunity for merch coming up soon i will give you guys the details as soon as i have it but that's going to do it for us tonight brandon again thank you guys for thank you for joining me and thank you guys so much for listening we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.